So my name's Seth Ratzlaff, for those of you who don't know me. Uh, I was born in the Niagara region uh, to Vic and Miriam Ratzlaff. Um, the Niagara region is the traditional territory of the Neutral and Anishinaabe. And um, my, on my mother's side, my ancestors came to Ontario in the early 1800s. They were Swiss Mennonite settlers. And on my father's side, uh, my Russian Mennonite ancestors came to Canada. They, they settled out west in the early 1900s. Um, <clears throat> so Bryce asked me to speak this morning. Uh, and the question he posed to me uh, has, how has walking with Clarence Kakaji impacted my faith? Clarence Kakaji is a friend of mine. He's a Cree man from Chapleau Cree First Nation. Uh, we wrote a book together about his life journey, which is coming out very soon. Um, <clears throat> reflecting on this talk, I realized that Bryce had tricked me into giving my testimony, which I never would have done if it was framed in that way. And I grew up in the MB church, so... <laughs> I don't know if, if you're familiar with testimonies, but... <laughs> Anyways. Um, I think one question we should address off the bat is, uh, why, why am I talking and not an indigenous person uh, for this weekend, for this... Uh, for Truth and Recon the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation? Um, I think the quick answer to that is because I was, that no indigenous people agreed to, to chat because they were all busy and I was the second option. But uh, I think also it's good for us to have these conversations uh, without relying on indigenous people to, to do the emotional and mental labor required for it. Uh, and this weekend for for indigenous peoples is, is a weekend of mourning in many ways. And so that's, that's really, a, it's a big ask, asking them to come and um, teach us, talk with us. So, so it's good for us to have these conversations um, on our own. And I'm going to try to challenge you this morning with some questions. Um, and some ideas. Uh, I'm going to share on <clears throat> some of the inner stages that I've gone through in my own journey with Clarence and in reconciliation work. I'm going to talk about them kind of in a general way, but they're not meant to be an exhaustive list of, of things that you need to work through to engage in this work. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, acknowledgement of harm. Uh, being open to transformation and um, developing the courage to act. So, acknowledgement of harm. If you've started uh, a journey in reconciliation work, which I assume, Rockway, most of you have, you will quickly encounter the disturbing reality of Christian violence against indigenous people in Canada. And I think an important step of reconciliation work is to, to take time 
to develop a subjective understanding of that violence and that harm. And I say subjective because I want to differentiate it from an objective understanding. An objective understanding is knowing the numbers, you know. At least 6,000 children died, maybe up to 30,000. 150,000 children went through the schools. Um, they, were, they survived abuse, uh, malnutrition, um, scientific experiments, et cetera, et cetera. That's the objective understanding, right? To name those numbers, to, to know the general overview of what happened. But a subjective understanding is a personal understanding. And for me, that happened when I went up to Fox Lake Reserve, Chapel Creek First Nation, and had a chance to speak with Clarence's fam family members who went through the school system. And they shared me, uh, shared with me in private, some of their memories of, of what happened to them. And that's where it gets real. So, for me, stay on track here. Uh, for me, a subjective understanding comes through conversations, but it can also come through reading. There's many disclosures of harm in the uh, TRC report that you can all read. It's free to access online. Um, but for me, it's internalizing the true reality of the harm. You think about questions like, how would I react if my child, if my grandchild was taken away by an invading culture and taught a new religion and to detest everything that is beloved to me? How would I react? What would have happened to me in those schools? How would I have coped? Um, when you hear those personal stories, you develop an appreciation for the immensity of the impact and how it continues, the fallout continues to this day. I think um, that's part of the power of the orange shirt. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those personal things that happened to you know, Phyllis Webstadt. They took her orange shirt away, and it's this, it's this senseless cruelty, right? And it's just one of so many examples of, yeah, of just senseless cruelty that is incredibly challenging to fathom. Um, and I think when we do fathom it, when we do take it seriously, it should cause us to question our faith. Um, <clears throat> Adrian Jacobs, uh, who's a leader of indigenous justice for the Christian Reformed Church and uh, a member of the Cayuga First Nation from Six Nations, he put it in a way that I really liked, um, talking about the subjective understanding of the violence. And uh, he said, um, He puts it like this. You should be reduced to a puddle on the ground in such a way that only your God can revive you. And then, once you've gone through that, 
then you're ready. Then you're ready to walk with indigenous peoples. But if you haven't gone through that stage, you're not ready yet. Um, <clears throat> a good test of where you are in that journey is to think about your comfort level when we're discussing these kinds of things. If you find yourself thinking defensively when the topic comes up, um, if you find yourself imagining reasons why the schools might not be as bad as people say they are, uh, you're not there yet. And I think that that reaction, that defensive reaction to is actually quite natural because we are encountering um, being implicated, our people being implicated in massive injustice and violence. And that's, that's not something Mennonites would typically acknowledge about their history when we talk about who Mennonites are and where we come from. <laughs> we don't usually go there. <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> and that's in part, that's why it's good to have these conversations uh, among ourselves, uh, is to work through those, those defensive uh, lines of reasoning, right? But as Clarence says, you can't stare at the sun. Uh, we have to acknowledge the harm done, but we can't become paralyzed by it. It's an important step to take because there's a tendency to want to skip over all that and start doing things and fixing things and making things better. But you got to slow down and work through that on your own. Okay, this leads me to my next inner stage of reconciliation work, which is being open to transformation. Um, <clears throat> so walking with Clarence and building relationships with indigenous peoples it's impacted my faith, as I said, by making me actually have less of it. But that's not a good uh, sermon for a church. <laughs> um, it's also changed my faith, uh, walking with Clarence. He's encouraged me to think much more about land and spirituality and to reflect on the way that Christianity, as I knew it, is really a religion quite removed from local context, our local context. After all, Jesus walked around in Palestine, which is very far away and very different culturally and geographically than what we now call Ontario. Um, Jesus wasn't canoeing around the Great Lakes teaching folks how to fish, but some indigenous folks might actually disagree with me on that statement. Being open to transformation means developing a respect for indigenous teachings, stories, and ways of knowing, and being willing to let those teachings change what you believe and what you do. So this starts with listening and seeking understanding. Um, us, Settlers have done a lot of teaching and talking over the past 300 years. And often, usually, it's been done in very insensitive and coercive ways. 
it's time for us to do the learning. Not just about the harm, but also seeking to learn indigenous wisdom. So I'm gonna give an example of one way that Clarence, Clarence's teaching, teachings has changed me um, in my spiritual practice here on this land. And that is uh, laying down tobacco um, as a way of giving back when I take from the land. So that's something Clarence taught me to do. Um, we do that whenever we harvest, when we go fishing. Um, and it's also a form of prayer. It relates in a way to uh, one of the wampum belts that guide the way we're supposed to live on the, this land, which is the dish with one spoon wampum belt, which talks about um, always leaving enough for someone else when you take from the land. And I give that example as a way that Clarence has changed my own practice, but not as something that you should all go out and start doing. I think you should be quite confident in your understanding of new spiritual practices before engaging in them, and ideally you should be encouraged by indigenous people <laughs> before you start doing them. Okay, a third inner stage of reconciliation work. Developing the courage to act. So action is intimidating, in part because it's hard to know what to do, and in part because it's very easy to make mistakes. But we must regardless. Ideally, this work is done in conjunction with indigenous peoples, but it doesn't always need to be. And um, as Christians, I think we have some disadvantages and advantages when it comes to engaging in this kind of work. We're disadvantaged because we bring a lot of baggage to the table. Um, we trigger indigenous people by virtue of being Christian uh, because of what our ancestors have done and what we continue to do in, in some places. Um, we're, but at the same time, we're also advantaged in some ways. Uh, we're advantaged because we're sensitive to the spirit and because um, we are well positioned to work as allies with indigenous people who are also Christian. Um, I, think, I think it's important to honor um, Christian indigenous people because, I mean, one, one, thing, one thing I think about in that regard is if, if they went through all that they went through in terms of the schools, colonization, and they still chose to follow Christ, they must have something. They must have found something that's worth listening to.
So some suggestions for action I'm just going to leave you with here. Um, there's some fascinating theology happening at Six Nations. I think it would be great if Rockaway was involved in that conversation, was learning from Six Nations Christians. So I think we should be inviting them to speak here. Um, there's an election coming up, and it's a municipal election, so your vote has a lot of power. I encourage you to ask candidates how they intend to advance the TRC calls to action. What are they going to do about the Haudenosaunee land development moratorium? And how is that going to work in conjunction with our housing crisis? That's, that's, we got to address that. And uh, I mean, often, I think, I'm sure some of you might not even be aware of the moratorium, but often um, candidates don't know about it either. And if you don't know what it is, you can look it up. It's, uh, it's online. Actually, maybe I'll just say it, it, briefly what it is. The Six Nations have been fighting for fair compensation for this land ever since they started selling it off and not getting paid for it. Uh, they've been in the court system for now 25 years uh, with land claims that actually have to do with Block 2, the one we're on right now. And that, that's gonna, that's the court date's coming up actually in the spring. And probably what's gonna happen is we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna have to pay some money because they didn't get money for this land. They didn't get all their money. And, uh, and they called a moratorium on land development because this, the government's strategy with this land claim has just been de to delay it in court. And meanwhile, the land keeps getting developed. Uh, so that's, that was part of the reason why they asked for a moratorium on land development to try to force the government's hand to do something about this land claim. Uh, I think it's important to learn about the trees uh, that govern the land we're on. So, um, learning about the history of the Haldeman Tract, that was a little bit of it that I just gave you there. But also knowing uh, the wampum belts that um, guide the spirit of the way we should live here. So the one I talked about, the dish with one spoon, has to do with how we use resources on this land. There's also another really important one called the two-row wampum that talks about how Indigenous and non-Indigenous people should relate to one another while living, coexisting as neighbors. Um, and I think you should read stories and listen to Indigenous um, people, their wisdom, as well as their, their disclosure of harm. So, three things that I've kind of gone through, I think other people should too. And I'm not saying that I've worked, I don't want to make it sound like I've, I've, I've done this work now and I'm ready. And this is, a, this is a learning cycle. And I'm just as much learning as the rest of you. Um, but acknowledging the harm subjectively, uh, being open to transformation and finding the courage to act. Uh, it's important to keep in mind that reconciliation, it, it's not really a goal. It's, it's a process. Uh, it took 300 years of settler colonialism to get where we are now, and it's gonna take at least that many years to make our way back to um, right relationships with our indigenous neighbors. That's all I got for today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>